Welcome to Minstrel and Muse, in-depth conversations with artists, artisans, authors, and dreamers. I'm your host, Linda Rez, and my guest today is author, filmmaker, and horsewoman Stormy May. About a decade ago, Stormy was a riding instructor, competitor, and judge in the horse world, but feeling that there was something missing, she took a radical action and sold her ranch to buy a camera and fund her journey around the world to interview the most enlightened and talented horse people she had read or heard of, like Mark Rashid, Linda Kohenna, Carolyn Resnick, Klaus Hemflinger, and Alexander Nevzorov. The documentary she produced in 2008, The Path of the Horse, is life-changing. We know really well that every horse has an amazing personality, that they have intellectual and psychological gifts, that they are clever. As soon as you treat them as conscious creatures, they respond right away. You don't need any talent, special abilities, or magic. It's absolutely elementary. The real potential of this work in the future is for people to really learn how to open up and thrive and become more creative, learn how to become more fluid and adaptable, learning how to dance not just with horses, but dance with life learning how to expand relationships, and learning how to expand creativity and leadership on all levels. Once our mind is quiet and still, and we can see things for what they really are, then we can start to develop that softness in us. And for me, it comes from the heart. It doesn't come from the hands. It comes from the heart. It's something that you have to want to do. It's not something that you can achieve through technique. Developing softness comes from a willingness to want to do no harm. Stormy, thank you for being here with me. Thanks, Linda, for having me. Well, I watched it very late. You know, as I said in my introduction just now, it was filmed or put out in 2008, and I just came across it recently, and, uh, you know, last week, actually, right before I, I called you. And I was absolutely just shocked by how beautiful and well done it was and in the spirit of um, having a relationship with the horse and not looking at the at our horses as uh, a tool yeah that's well said now I one thing that the documentary kind of left me wanting more of was your journey you didn't put yourself in there a whole lot. And I know you're a humble and kind of a quiet person. <laughs> Only from our emails, I'm already picking this up. And you probably did that on purpose. But I am, I am really curious about your journey. What caused you to uh, do something so radical like selling your ranch and buying a camera? Uh, yeah. Um, actually, one of the reasons you don't see me much in there was because in the original idea, I wasn't even supposed to be in there. It was going to be reporting on these great trainers. But then I realized, well, I have to tie it together, and, and I'm the common thread here because this really was my personal search to find something beyond what the horse world I'd known up until that point had shown. Um, there were some people that, you know, the ones that I picked to film were doing things, as you said, um, more focused on the relationship than, than using the horse and the horse as a tool. Really what it came down to is, is I, was, I, I had very close relationships with a few horses. You know, I was a professional trainer, so there were a lot of horses coming and going. 
but a few were like my personal ones or ones that were, you know, you'd call them difficult, but it was, I realized it was always more important to me to be able to understand the horse and what the horse herself was saying, um, rather than shut up and do what I want. So because there were these particular horses who, who didn't, I mean, to put it bluntly, they didn't want to be ridden. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the techniques at the time were, you know, get stronger, um, meaning, you know, force the horse to do mm. what you want mm-hmm. until they get it, and then you can get softer. But the, the amount of force it was taking for these particular horses it didn't feel good to me. It's like, what kind of person am I to to put the horse through this much pain? And, you know, before I had bought the story of, well, you need to do this to fit into this world because otherwise you're dog food, mm-hmm. you know. And that, that was real to me for a long time. But then I started questioning that. It's like, well, actually, I could provide a really nice life for these horses whether or not they wanted to be ridden. Mm-hmm. Um so at that point, it became more about the horses and what they were saying and the communication with them than what can I make them do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And that's uh, a few years ago, I came to the point, I have eight horses, and I can't possibly mm-hmm. ride every horse, even if I wanted to ride every horse. But I, I came to the understanding that a relationship on the ground for me was perfectly fine, and I don't feel like I'm neglecting my horses not to be riding my horses. So I love that you came to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a huge, and it's almost like a collective brainwashing that you think horses are to be ridden. I mean, why don't we think hippopotamuses are to be ridden? Why don't we think, uh, you know, zebras are to be ridden for the most part? Um, there's, there, it's just some traditional cultural brainwashing that we think horses are to be ridden. You know, we think, we believe that, oh, they've been bred so long as riding horses that it must be okay for them being ridden. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's shades along the spectrum, but, but at the end of the day, the basic thing that I found is that horses aren't asking to be ridden. You know, there's, there's really nothing in it for them unless the the circumstances you're keeping them in, like if you keep them in a stall or a small pen, mm-hmm. then and and you say the only way you can go out is if you're ridden, then of course it'll look mm-hmm. like they enjoy being ridden because they enjoy getting out. Just like your dog looks like he enjoys Felicia McCollar because that means walk. Mm-hmm. But if he had a choice, it's like, okay, either you can live in this big pasture or you can come with me and be ridden. Mm-hmm. The, the, it's... There's a there's another path that I found that I can explain a little later, but but the basic choice or the basic thing I saw very clearly was that the horses aren't asking to be ridden. It's not in their best interest. So if I truly truly love a horse and want to take care of it and do the best for it, it doesn't include being ridden. Mm-hmm. You know, again, unless the circumstances are that there's no other way that horse could get out and move. Mm-hmm. Now, when you first, though, sold the ranch and decided you weren't going to be in that life, you, so you were basing this on a few personal relationships with horses where that you could see that they weren't responding to more and more force. And so there was a different answer that you were looking for when you started the journey? Yeah, I thought, well, show me somebody who can ride a horse without force. Okay. And so so the different people in, in the movie are all along that spectrum of using less force than what I'd call traditional horsemanship. Mm-hmm. But really the the only one that 
that looked to actually use no force, as in nothing on the horse's head, the horse is free to choose to do what you want or not, you know, so it's like your child. It's not like you're going to bridle your child if he doesn't do what he wants. You know, you understand why he's saying no and then come up with something different. Until I became aware of how horses mirrored the things in me that I needed to look at, I would continue to be frustrated by my expectations. The last person I went to visit, I didn't find by reading his book. I saw his website. As I clicked through the pictures, I could hardly believe what I was seeing. Here were horses flying with invisible wings. This man, Alexander Nevzorov, a former war correspondent wounded in the line of duty, and a current governmental advisor, researcher, and historian, had found a way to be with horses who were free to express themselves in natural collection. When I read that he worked with the horses without using any punishment, force, or restrictions on the horses' heads, in complete liberty, something in me was shaken. How was that possible? That was when I knew Russia would be my next destination. From the videos, it looked like, I mean, there's nothing on the horse's head. The horse is in full, beautiful collection, doing just amazing things. And, and he's saying that he didn't use any force to achieve it. Um, I'll, I'll touch on a little bit. A, a lot of times you'll see bridleless riding, you know, people riding with no bridle or halter, but it's achieved through riding with a bridle first. Mm-hmm. So the horse is basically brainwashed into do what my other cues are telling you, like mm-hmm. do what my legs are saying, do what my feet are saying, or I'll put the bridle back on and hurt you until you listen to me again. But this guy, is, it was so different that if the horse says no, he stops. He doesn't do it. If, if the horse doesn't want to do it, he doesn't do it. He doesn't put the bridle back on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, well, that's great, but it's easy to edit and do things in movies that aren't real. So, so I want to meet him and see him and see his horses. And when I met his horses, it was immediately clear that, that these horses were communicating with him on a level that I had never seen. I mean, I got it beyond what I had seen in his videos. It's like he's holding a full-on conversation with these horses, and he absolutely respects when they say no. He says, okay, what else do you want to be doing? And because that's such an interesting thing that I found, I'll, I'll go on a little bit more, but... Um, Shortly after I finished the documentary, so I finished it in 2008, in 2009, I heard that he had stopped writing completely. And the reason for this is he could no longer justify the amount of pressure that leads to discomfort and pain in horses when he's on top of them. You know, he used to say, well, they, I can do their gymnastics exercises better when I'm on their back. But he, he realized that no, it's still his taking, basically violating their body, mm-hmm. just physiologically violating their body without a need to, you know, like he could do it a different way. So he stopped riding. And what he started doing at that point was teaching his horses to communicate with words, 
by spelling words in Latin. And that's a whole other story, but basically <laughs> wow. he, he, he stopped riding. He started teaching his horses to communicate in Latin through, you know, like to pick up a letter and spell a word. And he got to the point where he realized that the horses don't, they don't want to do our thing. <laughs> they, they have their own agenda in life. And really the only reason they're, they're, doing what we say is because we're not giving them an alternative. Um, so, and at that point, I, I think he, he kind of stopped doing everything, you know, other than taking care of them and um, making sure their physical needs were met. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and advocating that horses basically shouldn't be quote unquote used by humans. Again, you know, they, like lions aren't used by humans. Mm-hmm. They're, they're out he, there living their lion lives. Would he take it so far as to say we shouldn't even own horses, that they should just be allowed in the wild? Because they really don't want to be in a pasture yeah. or, or a stall or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, ultimately, yes. Okay. Where are you at in the spectrum right now? Because when you went home to your horse um, and started to look at your horse, in, in this is just what I'm going by in the in the video, and this is eight years ago, so I'm sure a lot has changed. But your horse, mm-hmm. uh, when you went home, did not want to have a relationship with you, according to the signs and signals that you were looking for from your time in, with um, Alexander. Right. Yeah. So I took it on as an experiment. You know, I stopped riding the, the main horse that I was working with. And and there was a long period of just disconnection. You know, I put him out in the big field with his friends, and um, he had the choice to come to me or not. And, of course, I'm still supplying food and health care and things like that. So we, we do have that relationship. Um, but there, there was, I mean, that's an important thing to realize is for us, there was a period of years where he was not wanting to connect with me other than will you feed me? Um, because I had heard him a lot. You know, I had started him as a three-year-old. I'm talking about Patrick now, the one you see at the end. Um, and I had taken him up to second level dressage and did some jumping with him and his, his back started getting sore and he was always, um, uh, seemed to be willing to try his best for me. Uh, it, it was certainly taking its toll on his body. And then when he had the choice of, you know, hang out in the pasture or do what I want, he chose hang out in the pasture. Mm-hmm. But then we did, after that period of disconnection, we started coming together again, but this time with with no force, with let's play games together. Let's, uh, you see a little bit of it at the end of the mm-hmm. path of the horse. Um, and and I do it with treats and um, scratches and, you know, whatever I thought he would like in the moment, just like you do with a dog, you know, oh, thank you for, <laughs> for doing what I asked. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Where was your question going? <laughs> well, where did where are you at in that spectrum now? Oh, that you okay. That? Yeah, with your riding yeah. versus not. Yeah. Riding. Oh no, no. I once I heard Alexander stopped riding, I decided I wasn't going to start riding again because I, I was already in, I was still in the experiment of not riding, but I thought it it just made sense. It's like wow, okay, now all the pieces fit uh, when riding is no longer part of the equation because then I can truly know that I'm doing my best for the horse um, as if it's if it's a family member 
you know, like, I, I want to support you in living your dream. How many horses do you have right now? Uh, I take care of four. Okay. And, and now it's, it's more and more it's moving towards a wild model. Um, like it, basically sanctuary is what I call it. Um, as best as I or the people in my network of, of friends can use to give these horses as close to what they would choose if they could choose anything as possible. And keep in mind that all of these horses were born in captivity, so it's not like they were rounded up from the wild. Um, so there is a certain amount of human interaction that that they seem to enjoy and ask for even, you know, especially if they, they get hurt. A lot of times they'll be right there standing and waiting for me to put the ointment on, <laughs> you know, they okay. know it feels better. Um, so it's, the, it, the relationships between me and the horses should have shifted completely. And now it's, now it's in alignment. I don't have to tell myself lies about, um, I'm doing my best for these horses when, there is a better life that I could provide if I don't need to do what I feel I need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's sense. pretty. That's a pretty drastic uh, jump. Now, I, I have to, in full disclosure, I have to admit I'm still riding. I still use mm-hmm. bits. I still use saddles. All that. I came across the um, the documentary. Now, I have always, and I think I shouldn't say always, but certainly more recently since I had a horse break its front foot. It was my main horse, Cowboy. And I couldn't do anything with him for a year anyway while he was healing. But I realized I enjoyed the time on the ground just as much as I did in the saddle. Plus, I have a wild Mustang that I did, you know, also adopt. And and she's, you know, she kind of leads the way in what she wants because she's just very, you know, good at communicating what she needs. And so I've had a lot of different experiences that have led me to think, similarly to the way you do, that um, the horses, one, don't really care if they're ridden or not, and two, we can have a great relationship with them on the ground. But uh, with that all said, I still haven't, you know, given up riding. Just I, I've given up riding probably as much, and I, and I certainly want to become less coercive. And so you, you, reading or, or watching The Path of the Horse showed me the very end of that spectrum and enlightened a lot of other things by doing that. Yeah, one of the big things I've learned in the in, in the time between the releasing the documentary and now is is to accept people for wherever they are at on the path. You know, there's there's a tendency to you know, want to be righteous about you know now I know the truth and you're wrong and I'm not even going to talk to you. Um, but really, I mean that's kind of misunderstanding the whole message mm-hmm. uh, it's it's more about connecting and honoring each other wherever you're at and and you know you share what works for you and, and you share your observations but it's, it's really a team um, endeavor and if you make somebody wrong it's it's kind of like I'm the one who's wrong for making somebody else wrong so so yeah, um, I mean, some people do watch the movie and they're done writing completely. <laughs> it, was, it was just what fit for them, you know. It confirmed what they were suspicious of. And then others, you know, it, when I was making the movie, I was showing showing a writer the what I call the abuse scenes, and and I said, well, what did you think of the abuse scenes? And this lady said, what abuse? Like, oh wow. She. she 
couldn't see it. She literally couldn't see it because it was so much how she works with horses or how a whole group of people work with horses. So to them, that's not abuse. Well, we've all been there. I mean, if you've been in the saddle, you've all been there. And and you did admit that you'd been there too. And I I, I appreciated that because you do see yourself in those riders. It makes you sick. But you do see yourself. You know you've been there at some point. You were scared. You didn't want your horse to run away. You didn't want to get mm-hmm. fucked and, off. Whatever. Yeah, and, you and that's what things. your instructor told you to do. And mm-hmm. that's what you yes. told your students to do. You know, that's that's how you do it. Yes. So, yeah, I think but, all yeah, of us to look saw at it from the other side of the camera, to look at the horse and what the horse looks like, that's a perspective we don't really go deep into much. Mm-mm. No, that was scary. We're actually watching that. And now, see, I, a good part of the year, I've never been in any competitions or anything. So my riding style was already very lackadaisical. It's just, you know, you just go out on the trail and ride and, um, and had just kind of have fun with your horse. But the, um, the wintertime I have to stop too. And so I don't do anything except for like, uh, I actually do some tea touch work with horses, just the Mm -hmm. actual touching portion. I don't know about the riding portion. I've never really studied that, but. Um, in fact, I had Linda Tellington Jones on last year, and we talked about T Touch because it so drastically helped my horses. Um, similar kind of with with what Alexander's doing, I saw him doing some stretching. But you're getting into a situation help where you're helping your horse. You're not just going out there to ride, and mm-hmm. you're um, giving them some comfort in areas they might be uncomfortable. And so I I found myself like I. In one scene there, he's sitting on the horse's belly and he's pushing the front legs. And I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, the the hooves are right in front of his face. And, you know, he's totally trusting this horse he's on in your documentary. Mm-hmm. And that kind of reminds me of T-Touch because I put myself, and there's nothing like that, in situations where I wouldn't normally be with my horse. Like right behind him on the tail worker in front with the stretches. But my horses have never tried to hurt me when I'm helping them. Never. Yeah. Oh, I've absolutely found that too. I think I've been trying to think, you know, if I'm teaching now, what would I teach? And really it's horse touch and communication because the the horses that I take care of, they line up. They're like, you do me now. You do me, you know, because I do there. It's, it's massage, but it's completely guided by the horses. So they're out in the big field. You know, they come to me if they want, they don't, if they don't. They position their body exactly where they want it. And then if I don't get it, sometimes they'll point with their nose or with a foot. Mm-hmm. And then they, they, they figure out how to let me know exactly what they want, exactly how hard, exactly how long. And it's, it's an amazing process to watch. Um, they'll come up almost like agitated and, oh, my God, mm-hmm. this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. And then you'll, mm-hmm. you'll start massaging or scratching or whatever they're asking for. And then this wave of relief comes over them. And then sometimes you think it's never going to end, but but it does. And then they're done and they'll walk away and usually stand a little bit and chew and <laughs> well, I, have I call a it, sigh of relief. I call it the sugar cube. I try to be their sugar cube. But, you know, when I, I do the same thing and I usually go out in the evenings because they love it when I come out in the evenings for some reason. And mm-hmm. right there when the sun's just starting to go down and even later. And when I do, now the herd leader, which isn't actually the leader, he's the second, but, you know, he's the one who's really leading, as in Mark Rashid's mm-hmm. uh, philosophy, and okay. it's true. But he will now 
keep the horses away from me and, and let each one have the turn. Just like if they're feeding, yep. isn't that weird? He will let the yep. one mare who's at the top mare come to me first and he guards all the others and pushes them off until her time's mm-hmm. done. Then she walks away and the next one will come. But he chooses the order in which they get to come to me and get the touching, the mm-hmm. tea touching. Yeah. Oh, it's not weird at all. It's That's a little of what they're capable of when we start learning from them instead of shutting them up and telling them what to do. Um, and I've had even, if a horse starts to get mean towards me, another horse will come in and herd that horse away. They're yep. like, no, 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 you don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the same thing. Um, so when you do this now, are you finding that the relationship, I mean, obviously you are, you're finding the relationship that you have on the ground is much more fulfilling to you than the riding ever was? Yeah. I mean, the the physical thrill of riding will always be the physical thrill, thrill of riding. If we made robotic horses, I would be the first to want one. I mean, I love, love, love the feeling. Uh-huh. And at the same time, it's just a price I'm not willing to pay anymore. Just like somebody getting on my back when when it's, it's not what I want to do. You know, I'm doing my own free running here. I don't want mm-hmm. a backpack on my back while I'm doing it. Um, yeah, so... so I, I seek my thrills in other ways. <laughs> I don't, there's so many other things that we can be doing that give you the physical thrill that aren't at the cost of somebody else's body. Yeah. Well, the um, what, what are you doing? Are you doing any other projects right now, or are you um, are you going to develop oh this further? Because the Path of the Horse is <laughs> eight years old, but you said a lot of people are just finding it. As a matter of fact, um, a million, over a million watchers on youtube and it's available yeah. by the way on youtube just type in the path of the horse you can watch the whole thing it's absolutely amazing it's a quote i want to ask you about in just a moment but don't let me forget before we leave but what what's what are you doing now okay you ready to go on a journey <laughs> yes okay so what i realized when i was trying to basically convert people to not ride horses i realized that people won't see a different way of being until people are better taken care of. People won't take care of animals until they're taken care of. So in other words, you know, I used to think that a horse has to work hard because I have to work hard or, you know, a horse has to hurt sometimes because I have to hurt sometimes. Mm -hmm. So instead of, so I switched completely from helping horses to helping humans and what I mean by helping humans is this is a really big picture, but it's ending hunger, ending poverty, ending wars. Basically, don't focus on the animals because I can spend that time helping humans directly. And when human, when the human state of being is raised, they don't need to, you know, you don't see Buddhist monks riding horses. <laughs> you know, they don't need to take something from another animal if, if they are cared for. So, so then I thought, okay, so what, you know, should I join with some other peace movement or how can I best serve raising humanity's consciousness? Um, which of course the answer is always raise my own. So I am doing that part number one. Um, and meditation is a big part of that. But in, you know, getting quiet and hearing messages as as I get towards meditation, I came up with this project called Gratitude Bolts. 
And what that is, is basically you pay it forward for somebody else's meal at a restaurant. So um, say uh, there's a certain number of homeless, hungry people on the streets any given day. And if you could pay at a restaurant and basically leave a meal for them whenever they're hungry, they can come in and say, hey, do you have a gratitude bowl? And they get they get fed. Um, so so I started this project. We actually started serving gratitude bowls in April, and we've fed over a thousand people now in our community. And wow, <laughs> that's that's incredible that I could just be sitting here and say, you know, how could I end hunger? Oh well, let's have restaurants feed people. Okay, how do we do that? Well. They need to make their money, and people could donate, and yeah, let's try it. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's happening, and oh my gosh, we have five restaurants serving gratitude bowls. I mean, we started small because there's there's a lot of fears, you know, what if, what if, what if. Um, but it's been it's been beautiful. It's I mean, I talk to people, and they feel like this sense of a higher sense of security in that if they're hungry, they'll be fed. And uh, they don't have to wait for the food bank and they don't have to have a special card and they don't have to qualify. You know, it's basic. If you're hungry and there's a meal, you know, and enough has been donated, you get the meal. Wow. Um, So that's what I mean by I saw I have to raise human consciousness. And, And then the animals will be fine because we won't be needy. We won't be needing them to do things for us. Wow. So yeah. this has been then, um, wow, what a journey. So this this has been all integrated, but it's been a journey of understanding or awakening or a spiritual journey for you from the beginning. Yeah, I think I think horses were always that. I mean, they were like the, the physical representation of that. There's, for some reason, I was born into this world horse crazy. I mean, I haven't met many people as horse crazy as I have been. And, I, you know, I thought everybody was like me, but uh, <laughs> I was especially horse crazy. And in in pursuing, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like I ever originally wanted to ride them or dominate them. I wanted to be them. I wanted to be in their herd. I wanted to be their foal. I wanted to be their, their friend. Um, so that's why it felt so right when when writing came out of the equation. It's like, yeah, actually, that wasn't what I was going for at all. It's it's fun, but it, it's not it's not me being a horse. Mm-hmm. And and then in and I have to say that I I think a lot of it is for me. It's always felt safer being with horses than humans because they they have a different way of thinking. That I I could say it's slower, but it's just different. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're understandable. You know, I could be with the most mean, vicious horse and feel a lot safer than with my, most people because they don't lie. They don't cover things up. It's it's all right there to see if you can understand their language. Whereas humans, they're, they're confusing. They, you know, they say one thing and do another. And I, who knows? <laughs> There's so many layers. I don't even right. know what's going on. Right. Um, so through exploring with horses and going beyond the the like I'd say fundamental cultural brainwashing about horses and 
learning from the horses themselves who they were and what they wanted and what they didn't want. Um, I've been able to, I could put it as like heal, heal enough to start understanding humans and not from the verbal language level, but from the same level where I understand the horses, from the body language, from the actions, from um, things that are unconscious in most people. Now, have you continued on with the filmmaking at all? Do you want to do another? Because I I take it you never did a film before The Path of the Horse. Right. I I had done one educational video called Understanding Bits, (laughs) which was very um, interesting things I found. Actually, once I finished that movie, I I didn't use bits anymore. (laughs) I only used bitless bridles. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so who knows where the next movie will take me. I said, the, there's two concepts that I'm working with for the next projects. One is the path of the centaur, and that would really be like the path of the horse follow-up. You know, where am I now? Um, talking about the people who are creating sanctuary for horses and the shifts that other people have made similar to mine. Um, but the, that may or may not happen. But the other, the movie that I think will happen is the path of the human. And... In a lot of ways, that's what my life is right now, working with gratitude bowls and working with, you know, I come across a lot more homeless people now. And um, uh, really, the I, I made a business called Our Horses, mm-hmm. and it's O-U-R, Horses. Um, and that, that was the feeling of, like, all horses are our horses, like all horses are our family. Um so with our horses, um, it was always clear that, that it's not promoting horse sanctuaries, it's promoting horse and human sanctuaries. Because what what I found is that the horses, a horse, horse's version of sanctuary and a human's version of sanctuary are actually very similar, and that can be done together. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. basically a big open environment, the humans would live closer to the earth, you know, less palaces and more uh, trees and nature walks. Um, so, so with our horses, it's kind of the the path both for horses and humans in um, creating these sanctuaries. And actually, we're working on that. We have some uh, already underway in different different. Everyone's a different experiment, you know, different person in charge. Um, but the similarity is, is they've all um, seen that, that they're, the highest calling they can do is to provide a, a, an environment for horses and humans mm-hmm. that is um, as, whatever buzzword you want to use, holistic as uh but yes, they can, can be. but they can still interact. You said so they would be able to the humans would be able to go in there and mingle with the herds in a non-threatening. That's, but yeah, a and of course, it, you know, safety is important. And mm-hmm. if you don't know horse language, you might be separated by a fence, which would be a good thing for both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might get stampeded. Um, but you know, and they they are powerful, and they all come running at you like that. And if you don't know. Right to, you know, just make yourself known, you might, they might accidentally. Yeah, or, or they kick out, you know, and you might be in the middle of it, or they, you right. know, they're pushing each other around. They, they're, it's, it's rough to be but, part of a horse herd. 
I do say, I'm not going to keep you on a, a whole lot longer, but I, I do want to say, I, I think that horses, and I, I think you do too, horses do for some strange reason, and I can't fathom why, they do like human beings. Yes, unless they've been really mistreated and they're like, then they're, they just leave me alone. Yeah, in the worst <laughs> case away. scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there there is um, a part of most of them that says, you know, who are you? And I, I think part of it is that we, because we think differently, we have a different confidence level. And, you know, like, like I could walk down to the pond where my horses might be afraid to go by themselves, but if I'm there walking with them, they have my confidence and they mm-hmm. see that that I'm a natural leader because I could protect them from a dog that would come or a bear that would come. You know, they, they trust in me because of that. So I, I think that's at least part of what horses appreciate about humans mm-hmm. um, other than the food and <laughs> <laughs> right. food and they, such. They're teeth. naturally curious, gregarious animal, and they do, and human beings are too. And so the two, uh, if in, in the best case scenarios, they do seem like they have some enjoyment in a good relationship. You know, they like to be petted, and they like to, like in the videos that you showed, they like to play. One of, it was, I think, um, Resnick, is that the, Carolyn Resnick, that she mm-hmm. said they like to dance. Mm-hmm. That, that was surprising yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they do, and if you watch them in the wild, they do have their the dances that they do, especially when they're meeting a new new herd member or the stallion and the mare that, you know, there, there's this beautiful dance that they do. And, and when we bring them into our world, um, and show them more dances, uh, they seem to be interested in that too. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think going back to the the horses that you have, basically it's reflecting how you treat them by how much they enjoy being with you, you know, ruling out sickness or whatever. So if they're running up to be with you, then, then that means you're doing things that mostly they enjoy and not much that they don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if they're hard to catch, that you know, that's a pretty obvious signal that either they're hurting or they, you're scaring them. They don't want to be with you. Mm-hmm. So if it takes, uh, you know, if it takes a, whatever it takes as far as pain to get them to do something, you know, that's, it's eroding at their, their enjoyment and how much they want to be with you. Now a stalled horse, of course, has no choice. Our horses luckily can run free, but they, um, there, there was a difference or a change in my training this last summer with my Mustang, but I had been previously other years putting her in the stall when she started when I started working with her in earnest. And I, because I didn't want her to turn away from me out in the pasture and say, eh, cause you know, she loves it when I'm not doing anything with her, but you know, with the training aspect of it. But this year I thought, you know, I'm not going to do that because that's cheating because that's telling, if she walks away from me, that's telling me I've been doing something wrong in my training. So this year yep. I decided to just let her be and see if she came to me afterwards. You know, some days she would come to me and some days she wouldn't. Um, but it does mm-hmm. give you the information when they don't come to you, you probably did not do something right. Yep. Yeah. It's probably the last time whatever happened was something that scared them or hurt them or both. And 
it takes more time to to build up the fundamental uh, not really trust, but just wanting to be together again. And and what a beautiful thing that you could listen to that and and say, wow, she's saying something, and I'm listening. Mm-hmm. And it what? makes it ultimately it makes it closer. You know, it seems like well, she's going farther away, but ultimately she she recognizes that. I mean, they all recognize when you're allowing them their say. What do you think about this? Is one issue I had when I got her. I had she had horrible feet. I mean, it was just she because she had been rounded up in the burns area, um, mm. and she had just overgrown feet I and mean, they're clubby and she was really going to probably be lame if they weren't worked on because she wasn't rubbing she wasn't naturally wearing them off in that rocky area she'd born in Beatty Butte was where she's from but the the first thing that I had to do was get her to where she would let the farrier come in and, and do her feet otherwise you know she was in a pretty bad situation it was one of those mm-hmm. kind of emergency things that needed to be done so how how do you approach that in the sanctuary um the, yeah, the human that, I mean that, that really is it's a super question and that and that really is where you you have to choose who you're going to be. And for me personally, if if those hosts need attention and I haven't been able to get them trimmed down through um like a paddock paradise or you know enough rocks and gravel in their area that they wear them down naturally, of course that's what I always try first. But yeah, I mean it, if it if it even takes giving the horse some some sedative or tranquilizer or something to um, make it not so traumatic that, you know, I'm okay with that. Um, but that basically the foot and veterinary care are where I say, you know, I just like if my kid had leukemia, you know, I, if, even if the kid didn't want to do the treatment, I would force the kid to do the treatment. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and in matters of of health and safety, I am not above forcing the issue. You know, otherwise, what? I'm giving the horse to more pain. Mm -hmm. And again, it's still me playing ultimate, uh, ultimate uh, destiny maker for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's where I'm at, and so you know, I can be honest with that and, and say. Yeah, if if these feet are out of control, then we might have to put the halter on. We might have to spend some weeks working with you so you can do it as gently as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, the horses that I have right now, they've been really healthy. um, And I'm able to trim all of them at liberty, you know, if if their feet are getting a little long. And, And that's part of the relationship we've built is... You know, I could be sitting on the ground with the hoofs resting in my lap and they're munching their hay and I'm trimming. Wow. It's nothing like what you think of as working with a horse's feet. It's, it's, they, they really get to treat me like, like I was a foal, like I'm a very delicate baby horse. And so they, for the most part, know to be delicate with me otherwise I just will go away and they don't want that because I'm a good scratcher <laughs> no they I, I I think they really do love their humans when the relationship's right and you're just part of their herd like the other and they're very loyal to each other 
But um, I, I noticed that aspect of gentleness when uh, you were filming there in the path of the horse, and Alexander was on one of them, one of their stomachs, and the, really the paws were like—I um, mean, I, the, the hooves were like paws of a mm-hmm. cat or a dog or something. The way the—I think it was a mare—was just so gentle with him around the face. And usually yeah. they're going to smack you in the face. I mean, you, a lot of what we're doing is just based on fear and what we've seen happen. You've all seen somebody get kicked, you know, by a horse. And so you're living in fear of that. But it seems like when the relationship's right, the horses try so hard to protect you, like what you just said. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and they will they will literally protect you, and they're not dangerous at all. They're the safest ones to be around because they're looking out for you, defending your body from whatever the threat might be. And that really was one of the big turning points when I met his horses was the difference between horses you have to watch out from because they're going to get you back for you getting them versus the horses that you've built this different kind of relationship with where it's it's complete trust. And, that you know, when I walk behind my horses, I have no, no thought or chance that I'm going to be kicked. Mm just like they wouldn't kick their baby you know like of course uh, something might happen always but it's that's the safe place to be because then they're protecting me they're not looking to hurt me they're looking to uh, be as kind to me as I am to them mm-hmm. and it, it's similar maybe to you come up to a person that's a violent person versus you come up to a person that's a peaceful person it's a different experience and a different um, feeling you get. You know, you wouldn't take the violent person and say, here, come on your belly and let me, let me rub you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Being a leaf on the water, as it showed in the documentary, your documentary was beautiful. And, and now I want to get to that quote. This is a long one, but I want to make sure I have number one, the right person who said it. But also I think it really sums up, what you're talking about, these things, the relationship part on the ground, and it's small, 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 small things. things. One leaf touched. One leaf touched by the sun. One small smell. When we are dying, I promise you, the memories you will have in your last seconds is about these small things. Touching our skin. One leaf. One moment with your child. Not the big things you will remember. The small things these small things are added to a fulfilled life or not. Not the big things. And I assume that maybe Klaus Hempfling said that? Mm-hmm. Yep, he did. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And they can come to um, the website ourhorses.com to connect with you? Dot org. Dot org. Okay, that's a big difference. Ourhorses.org. Mm-hmm. And they can keep up with what's going on and even pursue this idea a little bit more. Maybe if they're not into horses, come to one of the sanctuaries and experience it. Yeah, they're, they're incredible already, and, and they're just getting more incredible. And also, um, I have the gratitudebowls.org website for more information about gratitude bowls. Gratitudebowls.org as well, you said? Mm-hmm. .org, okay. I'll check that out, too. Well, you have certainly given me a lot to think about. And it, if anything that helps me in my relationship and my own journey, um, you know, I take it. I, I just grab onto it. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you can tell. And th- this is definitely one of those things I have. I would hope everybody would go and see The Path of the Horse. It's available to you for free on YouTube. 
and elsewhere too. You can also buy it and donate it to your library. Um, and there's a book, an ebook that goes along with it. So, Stormy, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, and best of luck with your program. I can reach out and touch the horse with a sweet simplicity, how can I transfer that to my relations with other animals and ultimately to other humans? Who's this person in front of me? How can I reach out and touch them in a simple, sweet way? So that we both come away with a feeling of being in love with each other.